This audio is brought to you by Muslim Central. Please consider donating to help cover our running costs and future projects by visiting www.muslimcentral.com forward slash donate. My church is Shekhar Yassin, who's a man Dai from America, from Brooklyn. Um, he's been active in the Dawa for many years now, I'm sure. And uh, he's based in Sheffield now, close to the Black Center. Alhamdulillah, uh, he's uh, got the shadow of 10,000 people. And today he's come to Bradford to speak to us, inshallah, about uh, marriage. So I'd like to call Shekhar Yassin. الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على سيد المصطفى صلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى آله وأصحابه وأزواجه ومواله وبعض فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الحديث حديث محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الأمور محدثتها وكل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة دلالة وكل دلالة سيئة أيها الأخوة الكرام أخوات السيدات السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Dear brothers and sisters in Islam, I want to attempt to address uh, a topic that uh, may be unclear in the minds of many Muslims, or if it is not unclear uh, in the minds of Muslims, it has become cluttered. Uh, it has become hazy. It has become uh, difficult. Uh, it has become an issue of confrontation at times. Uh, it has become an issue of despair. Um, and to highlight that point, I'd just like to uh, bring you a statistic that perhaps some of you may not be aware of. A statistic in your country that you need to know about. Uh, it is uh, stated uh, in the most recent uh, national census that there are approximately 1.8 million Muslims in the UK. Uh, and according to a sociological uh, statistic uh, that has been given by um, there's three different statistics offered. I, I'm going to give you the middle statistic. At any given time, uh, there are approximately 118,000 Muslim men and women who are of the age of marriage. And this statistic says most of those 118,000 will be single for at least six or seven years of their period of time that they are available for marriage. Now, this is a very alarming statistic, especially when you take into consideration that the majority of that 118,000 are women. Yes, 78,000 to 83,000 of that 118,000 are women who are of the age of marriage and they will remain single 
for at least six or seven years, and in many cases, 30% of them will be single for at least 14 years after they become available for marriage, the age of marriage. So if you can look at this here from a sociological point of view, just think about it for a moment. Think about 118,000 young people between the ages of 15 and 30, generally, who will be looking for a husband or a wife, or will be looking at each other. Even if they're not looking for a husband or wife, they're just looking because young people look. Old people look too, but young people look more. They're going to school together in universities and high schools in which there's no barriers like this. Fortunately, the brothers went to this hall and they put this up in order to exemplify a reasonable amount of separation between men and women. But in most of the institutions that our children or your children will be raised in from the time they go to grade school all the way until they get their PhDDD or whatever they go to get, they will not be having this separation. So they will be looking at each other and they will be looking at Kaffirs also. This is another issue. But let's stay with the statistic of the Muslims themselves before I go into the body of this so that you will understand some of the reasons of the things that I have to say to you. You will, uh, you will, get, the, um, you will get the impact of some of the things I want to say to you this evening. And Allah knows the best. I said 82,000 of those 118,000 Will be, will be looking for marriage or available for marriage at least six years before they find a prospect. So for the women, it means they will be at least 21 years old before they maybe look for a prospect. And in many cases, they will not find a husband or get married until they are 28, 27 years of age. So between 15 and that age, 82,000 Muslim women will be just dangling. The rest of the figure are men. Now, this, the men, I'm talking about young men who are between the ages of 15 and 30. But the situation is compounded because out of that 1.8 million, there's another 362 million I mean, 362,000 men who also would like to get married, but they already got married, they already got a wife in another country, or they got a wife and they're not satisfied, they want another wife, or they are those who are between 15 and 30 and they're looking for wives, but they're having problems. Now, you would ask yourself the problem, the question. If some 49,000 young men need wives, and they are looking, um, feeling, thinking, and there are 82,000 women that are available, this is not counting widows, this is not counting sisters who may have been divorced, this is just, we're talking about young sisters who are also looking and available. You would say by your figure that there are nearly 1.7 sisters available for those 42 or 49,000 brothers. That's what the statistics says. Now, these are not our statistics. These are the statistics that have been taken by the, this government 
of which you must participate or you will pay a fine or you will go to jail. So they got the statistics. So I'm quoting from some statistics and some of you may call them guesstimates. That's okay. Now, you would ask yourself, why is this problem existing? I'm going to talk about some of those problems. As I see it here, and as I see it in America, and as I see it all over the world, because there's some even more alarming problems in the Muslim world, but not like this. It's a little bit different in the Muslim world. So let's talk about Great Britain in particular. I want to share with you another statistic. Approximately 3,716 Muslim girls will get pregnant by non-Muslims every year. And because of the facility that is given to them in this country, they can have an abortion and not tell their parents anything. They can have a lunchtime abortion. That is, they go to school, go to the clinic, have an abortion, go back to school, or go back to work, nobody knows anything except them and Allah. And of course, the clinic. Because the clinic has got to report when they do an abortion, so that's why they got the statistics. Another statistic I want to share with you. 35% of the Muslim girls who are in school and who know how to use a computer, they are talking on the phone with boys either by infrared or by SMS or by Bluetooth or by whatever kind of tooth they have. They are sitting in classes, hallways and other places, on buses and whatever, and they send a message back and forth. Why? Because the technology allows them to do that and their mothers and fathers don't have a clue because most of the mothers and fathers just learn how to use telephones. And the kids know it. The kids already know that mom and dad don't have a clue. The other statistic I want to share with you is that many of our young brothers and sisters are meeting with each other around the world, around the country, on these chat rooms. And they're talking about everything. And in the chat room, they're doing everything they can do but touch, smell, and taste each other. Now, I may be a bit graphic, and you might, as I move along, get a little bit irritated, but it make, doesn't make me any difference. I'm going to give you the information, and you can do with the information what you want to do with the information. My job as a sociologist, or my job as a teacher, or my job as a brother, is to tell you brothers and sisters, what the real deal is before we go into the topic about the marriage so you don't just think we're talking about something which is like abstract, something like religious, you know, something we're just talking about that's just like, you know, some ayats of Quran, some kind of nasiha, you know, something spiritual, that this is the real deal. And if you don't do something about it, your family center, that means the center and fabric of your family is going to collapse. It is going to collapse. You will be kufi-wearing, hijab-wearing, cultural walking, talking, eating Muslims, but basically your ethics and your values as a family, as a nation, would have collapsed because you didn't follow the sunnah, because you didn't heed the advice of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, because you put Islam 
in a prison. And one of the scholars said, the problem with the Muslim world today, it is not the opposition of the Kafirs or what they're doing to us. The problem with the Muslim world today is that the Muslims have put Islam in a cultural prison and locked it up. And Islam cannot get out because the Muslims got the cultural key to the cultural prison. And with their culture, they are outside. Islam is on the inside. Neither can anyone see Islam, nor can anyone visit Islam, and nor can the people benefit from Islam because it is inside the cultural prison. And most of our problems, brothers and sisters, it is not George Bush and it is not Tony Blair. This is an excuse. They are a punishment which Allah put on us as a result of putting Islam in the cultural prison. Now that's what we need to know. Now some of your young brothers and sisters who I talk with a lot, most of the lectures I've given, I've given 173 lectures in the last two years in the UK. 20, 20, 20 in the last 25 days. Primarily in universities, colleges, sixth form schools, A-levels. Why? Because I like to relate to the young people because the old people is like hard rocks. The old folks are too difficult to deal with. And unless I got 40, 50 people with me, I don't want to deal with the old folks. The young people, however, into a cultural prison. We Muslims, you see, in the past, as Islam evolved, Islam came in contact with many cultures around the world. The Roman culture, the Persian culture, the African culture, the Indian culture, the, the European culture, the Chinese culture, but in the, that time, the, the, the Iman of the Muslims the Iman of the Muslims was deep, and the knowledge was wide, and their commitment was strong. And because their Iman was deep, and their knowledge was wide, and their commitment was strong, when the Muslims entered the Kafir countries, 
when the Muslims themselves came in contact with non-Muslim culture, they can't hear. The sisters can't hear. They can't hear me over there. Let's try again. Can they hear now? Yeah. Very good. So, in the early history, and for at least 500 years of the Islamic history, the Iman of the Muslims was deep, and their knowledge was wide, and their commitment was strong. So when they came in contact with other cultures, even though those cultures had existed for some 2,000 years, sometimes 1,800, 700, in, in, uh, when we get to China, almost 3,000 years, what happened, Islam dominated the culture. And the culture fit into Islam. And so Islam became the strainer. And the culture of the other people was poured through the strainer of Islam, and what was inside, left in the strainer was thrown out. The haram, the fawahih, the foolishness from the people's culture was thrown out. But anything that was good in their culture, anything that synthesized, anything that met with Islam and agreed with Islam was kept and made better. And one of the beautiful things about this is that when the people saw the benefit of Islam, most of them accepted. They saw that when the Muslims came, in many cases, the Muslims only had confrontation with them just a few months. After a few months, and the people got saw the benefit, they said, man, this is better than what we had. And they accepted, and they capitulated. This is what happened in many countries across the world. Today, it has reversed. Now today, when Muslims come in contact with other cultures, Muslims capitulate. That is, Muslims assimilate. Muslims throw off Islam. They just keep their names, because they can't get rid of that. They keep their food, because they like the taste of that. They keep their language, because that allows them to communicate. But their iman is shallow. Their knowledge is dhayyab, very narrow. And their commitment to the deen is weak. So when the unbelievers saw it, see that, when they see that our iman is not like that before, those people they came in confrontation with, when they see that our knowledge, that they got better knowledge, they got better knowledge of Islam academically than we do. And when they realize that our commitment is narrow, narrow, weak, then they set into motion to re-educate us. And they begin re-educating us from childbirth. They re-educate us. So here we are in a situation today where Islam in the UK, for instance, most Muslims that are here in the UK are here at least three, some are, some are here three or four generations now. Three or four generations. Those who were here first came here as workers and immigrants. You had a commitment to work, to survive, and to keep your Islamic identity. And you did, alhamdulillah. That's why I tell the young people, don't get an attitude with these old people with those mosques. Don't get an attitude with them because 
they, at least they built mosques. If they're doing bid'ah, if they don't want to do nothing but pray and close up the mosque, leave them alone. At least they built the mosque. I don't see no young people building no mosque. Leave them alone. Cooperate with them. Respect them because those are our elders. But now, brothers and sisters, what I want to say to you now today is that regarding this issue of marriage, among other things that we have to do as Muslims with this situation, we're going to have to, we want to save our daughters. And if we want to save our young men, and if we want to save some of the older ones like me from falling into situations that we don't even talk about, we're going to have to go back to the sunnah of the Prophet Because in the sunnah, there is salvation. When you bring back a sunnah, you will kill a bid'ah. And when you uh, nourish a bid'ah, you are suffocating and killing the bid'ah, I mean the sunnah. So when we practice the sunnah, we will pick up the keys of the culture and open the prison door and uh, Islam will come out. Because then the ahkam of Quran will become loved by the Muslims. Then the decision of the Prophet will become loved by the Muslims. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he said in one ayah of the Quran, Allah, he heard someone saying to the Prophet in I love Allah. You know, we all Muslims. If anybody asked the Muslims, I love Allah, I would die for Allah. I would die for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You hear Muslims, especially young ones. They want to go to jihad, they want to fight. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he heard that and he said to Jibreel alayhi salam to tell the people, say Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, in kuntum tuhibbun Say, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa to the people who said that, who said they love Allah, if you really love Allah, then follow me. So that means loving Allah and having Allah love you is conditional upon following the Prophet You can put Allahu Akbar on the top of your mosque. You can put Muhammad Rasulullah on the other minaret. You can put it on your shirt, you can put it on your kameez, you can put it on, the, on your hijab, on your forehead, you can put it everywhere. But that in no way means Allah loves you. The only way we can guarantee that Allah will love us and guide us and protect us and have mercy on us is that if we follow the sunnah of the Prophet and if we enact if we enact what Allah has orders. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also says, وَمَا آتَاكُمُ الرَّسُولِ فَخُذُوا وَمَا نَهَاكُمْ عَنْ فَانْتَهُوا That's what he said. So take what the Prophet gave you and leave alone what he, what, what he told you not to do. Take what he gave you. Do what he did. Practice what he practiced. Leave alone what he said not to do. Stay away from what he told you to stay away from. And what he didn't like and what he didn't advise for his ummah, beware. Take care. Leave it alone. Select something else. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentioned to us in the Quran some ayats which are frequently recited. 
سيد اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تمدن الا وانتم مسلمون with the fear and the haq with the fear which is his haq fear and mindfulness which is the haq of Allah which is the right in a manner which you should do wala tamutunna do not die don't let death overtake you illa wa antum muslimun except that you are muslims now let's get some understanding here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he have commanded death to visit each one of us at a time when we cannot know when it will come. Death is not going to send me no email. The angel of death is not going to knock on the door and tell me he'll be right back. No announcements will come. Maybe you'll get, maybe you'll get raya. Maybe you'll get uh, some kind of dream. Maybe you'll get some Allah alam. But no one knows when death will come to them. So Allah is telling you and I, Fear Allah. And don't allow death to overcome you while you are in a condition other than being Muslim. Muslim means what? Following what Allah said according to Islam. And what is Islam? Al-Islamu is Islamu lillahi bitawheed wal-inqiyadu lahu bitawati. It's Islam. It means it's Islam. It means submission. Lillahi for Allah. According to? The rules of Tawheed, that means get your Aqeedah together. وَالْإِنْقِيَادُ And surrender to Him, give up. What Allah said, do, do. What He said, don't do, don't do. Don't have no opinions about it. Don't have no but, no walakin. However, وَالْإِنْقِيَادُ لَهُ بِطَاعَتِ To His obedience, His commands. And then it goes on to say, and to reject completely all kinds of kufr wa shirk wa ahlihi and all their branches and relatives. This is what is defined by some of the scholars what is Islam. So when Allah says do not die except that you are Muslim, it means in surrender to him. That's one of the definitions. And another ayat says, Ya اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحدة وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والأرحام إن الله كان عليكم ركيبا Another ayah We always hear it because the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he always used to recite it What does this ayah say? It says يا أيها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي Oh you human beings Oh mankind Fear your Lord who created you. Fear your Lord who is your sustainer who created you from one single soul. So Adam, alayhi salam, um hawa, came from one single soul. Let me from the same essence. So men and women, their anatomy is different and their roles are different and their psychology is different, but their creation was from one single soul. Which means when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave 
the order to the human beings about submission, he gave the order to both of them equally. And when he said that he will bring you out of the earth and judge you, he said he will judge both of you equally. So that in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the male and the female, although they got different roles, in the sight of Allah they are what? Equal. Equal doesn't mean same. They are equal, but not same. They could be equal in weight, but not the same. Gold and silver could be equal in weight, but they're not the same. Air and other gases could be equal in weight, but not the same. So the male and the female, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, made them dhakar wa dhunthar, and he said they are not the same, but in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when they do good deeds, or they, or they do bad deeds, Allah will judge them what? The same. So he says, who created you from one single soul, and then created from its mate. Created from that one single soul, its mate. That means he created one soul, and then split that one soul in half, and created its mate, because Allah, he knew that if he created one, that one would be lonely. So he gave that one its mate. So that they would be able to, in another ayah, he goes on to say, why he did that. So he says, So fear Allah, by whom you demand of each other your rights of relationship, and give reference to the wounds that bore you life, meaning your mothers. And there's another verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us, which the Prophet also means to recite. He says, Ya ayyuhaladhina anutakullah, wa kulu qawlan sadeedan yuslih lakum, a'malakum, wa yaghfir lakum dhunubakum, wa man yuti Allah wa rasooluhu, faqad, faza fawzan azima. Look at this beautiful ayah. Now I'm reciting these ayahs because all of these ayahs have key words to our subject tonight. Oh, you who believe, fear Allah, be mindful of Allah, be apprehensive of the punishment of Allah. Taqullah, wa qulu awran, and say words. Sadida, Sadida here means straightforward, direct, honest, without deception. If we are, if we speak straightforward, honest, without deception, to each other. Deal with human beings. Straightforward, honest, without deception, without awaj, without crookedness, not hiding anything, with full disclosure. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, regardless of what your situation is, yuslih lakum a'malakum. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you one, he will make, he will give you islah. And he will also give you a makhraj. Give you a makhraj out of the situation. Be honest, be straightforward, don't deceive. If you do that, it might be more difficult at one time to be honest. Because there's a benefit waiting for you if you lie. You see, you can cut corners and you can get something, maybe you can get it before somebody else get it. But in the end, you're going to pay for it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, if you speak straight and be honest and do not be deceptive, yuslih lakum. Allah will make your actions sound. And if something is wrong, He will reconcile it for you. Well, you're Besides that, 
he will forgive you for the mistakes that you have made. And he says, whomsoever obeys Allah and his messenger because of that obedience, what? Faza, Fawzal, Azima. A great, tremendous success. Success in their marriage, success in their life, success in their business, success in their deen, success in, in education, success among the, in their interaction with non-Muslims, success in everything. Because what? First, Qulu Qawlan Sadida. Here's another verse Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said. What's the germane to our topic? He said to us, Woman ayati and among his signs, and khalaqalakum min anfusikum. Is that? He created for you from yourselves, from your nafs. Azwajan litaskunu ilayha. That he created for you mates from yourselves in order that you might dwell with them in tranquility. وَجَعَلَ بَيْنَكُمْ مُوَدَّةً وَرَحْمَةً And he placed between you, meaning you and your mates, he placed between you, مُوَدَّةً مُوَدَّةً means here from Allah is Al-Wajood. مُوَدَّةً here means a love which is greater than حُب. حُب is another word for love. But it's a different level of love. Hug more emotion involved. But wadud or wadda means like a comprehensive caring, loving that takes in all conditions and situations. Because you know how a mother, if you want to understand wadda from hub, you know how man he loves his wife and the wife she loves the husband. But when they get angry at each other, how they throw things and curse things at each other. And they even then break, break up. But wadda is different. A mother, she doesn't break up with the child, even though the child rebukes her, doesn't obey her. The child does all kinds of things. The mother is bound to that child for life, even when the father leaves. The mother loves that child. Like the mother of Jeffrey Dahmer. You heard of Jeffrey Dahmer? This is the guy, you know, that killed 37 people and ate 16 of them. Eight killed 37 people, cut them up, refrigerated them, and piece by piece, he said that he got a revelation that this is what he was supposed to do to demonstrate his commitment to God. Check that out. Kill 37, cut them up, box them, put them in a the refrigerator, rented the refrigeration place, put them in there, and one by one he began eating them. And when they, when they caught him, he had already consumed 16 of them. When he was convicted and put on trial, his mother was in the courtroom. And do you know she broke down and cried and said, please forgive my son. He didn't understand what he was doing. Maybe he didn't understand what he was doing when he killed him. When he was cutting him up, maybe he didn't understand. When he put him in the refrigerator and, 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 and put him in plastic bags and rented that box, maybe he didn't understand. But as he began eating them, head to toe, one by one, you tell me he didn't understand what he was doing? <clears throat> he did understand. And he was acting methodically. He didn't act at random like a crazy man, just kill everybody all at one time and then run. 
He acted methodically. And how long a period of time did he do this? Over a period of three and a half years. Now this is a shaitan. Straight. But the mother, she saw him as what? Her son. This is, a, this is how you see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showed the love of a mother. Thanks to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the judge didn't feel like the mother. He got convicted. He went to jail. And the prisoners in the jail, they didn't feel like the, the, uh, the, the mother. Because they killed him, but they didn't eat him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us, That he created for us mates from amongst ourselves, wives in particular, in order that we may dwell with them in tranquility, and he placed between us, meaning our hearts, muwadda wa rahma. That is not only muwadda, but also what? Mercy, feeling of compassion. And this is certainly Allah says, wa fi that, wa. And, and, and in this is a sign for those for those who have reflection and sense. Now, let me discuss with you straightforward my concerns about this topic. And the service which we are offering here, the service that we are offering, is just something that we feel is necessary. Because you can't keep saying what's wrong and not do something about it. So we want to say what's wrong, but we also want to say this is one step. And we're not saying it's the best step. We think it's one step. And it will get better through the collaboration of other people. It will get better, but somebody has got to initiate it. It's one step in the right direction. Others have also made some steps in that direction. And down the line, we're going to work the kicks out. We're going to see what other people did wrong. We're not going to do that. We're going to see what they did right. We're going to do that even better. But we got to take some steps. And I think that when 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 different agencies set up a service to facilitate this here, we are going to be addressing this, this situation, especially if we're addressing it according to the Quran and the Sunnah. This is going to be a way in which we can reduce some of these statistics. Now, the road to marriage. What is the road to marriage? When we talk about nikah. When we talk about marriage, what, do, what are we talking about? Zawaj. There's a beginning and there is an ending. Or there's a beginning and there's a conclusion. The Prophet says, Kullu a'malu bin Every action shall be judged according to its intention. So therefore, just like any other action, the most important part of getting onto the road to marriage is the niyyah. If you have the wrong niya, you can't wind up in the right place. You got to have the right map. You got to know where you're going. And that's why Christopher Columbus was a fool. He didn't know where he was going. He just wanted to go to India. But those Jewish people who was, who was living in Spain at the time, who had lived with Muslims, they knew where he was going. And they had the medicine, but he didn't have the medicine. So they were drinking lemon juice and lime juice so they didn't get rickets. Christopher Columbus, 
they were drinking that salt water and they got rickets and lost their mind and the Jews took over the boat and took them where they wanted to go. This is the truth of the matter and I can give you documentation later on. But when Christopher Columbus got there and kind of revived himself and woke up and found out he was on land, the Yahudis had already did what they wanted to do. They were going on this trip using him to do what they wanted to do. They had already done it. They had already set up their little places and all that to sell their furs and to start making coins and doing other kind of stuff before them other stupid people got there. But when Christopher Columbus and his guys, when they woke up, those that wasn't dead, they said, we must be in India. But where were they? They were in a place which we call now America. When they finally got a boat to go back to Spain to see Queen Ferdinand, King Isabella and King Ferdinand, you know, the Queen of Spain and the King of France, they had put their crown jewels together and gave them. So we had to tell them something now. The King and the Queen of two different countries had given him this sponsor from that ship. So he had to tell them something now. They were supposed to be going to India. So what did he tell them when he got back? What you think? He told them, I discovered India. And that's why today the inhabitants, the natives, of the American continent is called what? Indians. Now, I'm saying you to say this, that if you and I don't have the correct Nia, and we don't have the right resources, and we don't have the right direction and guidance, we think that we're headed towards marriage and we wind up in some other situation. You cannot get on the M1 saying that you want to go to Southampton going north with a good meal. Uh, my intentions is to arrive in Southampton, but I'm going north. If you go as far north as you can go, where will you wind up on the M1? I don't know, Edinburgh, Scotland, somewhere up there. So therefore, Nia is the first thing, the pure intention. You must have the intent to marry. And if you have the intent to marry, you must know what it is to marry and what your responsibility of it is. So parents need to sit with their parents, with their children, and talk to them about marriage. So the Prophet said, when your daughters menstruate, the first time you see them menstruate, start and prepare them for marriage. He didn't say marry them right at that time. No, that's not, that's not what he meant. He didn't say as soon as they have their first menstrual cycle, take them out and marry them. But he said, begin the process of it right then. That is what? Start talking to them about it. Start preparing them for it. Because their hormones, their body, signs have already come that they will be prepared for it very soon. And your, your sons, when they reach the age of puberty, and the signs of puberty in a man is different than it is in a woman. And that's why we see the signs a little bit later than women. The signs in women are definite. The signs in men, sometimes they're not definite. And that's why usually the puberty of men come two or three years later because we don't see the definite signs of it. But a father knows when his son have entered puberty. If the mother doesn't know, the father knows when the son has entered puberty because his body odor changes. His voice starts to change. And there are some signs early in the morning and late at night that his puberty has arrived. 
Now, this is just graphic facts that you need to deal with. And uh, one time, the Messenger of Allah was teaching his companions about how to make Istinjah. How to do Istinjah. He was not doing Istinjah, just he was going through the motions to, and like that. So one of the companions of the Prophet was in front of him, and he was embarrassed. He, he covered his head. And the Prophet uncovered his head and lifted his head up and said, There is no shame when we speak in the truth. So I'm speaking the truth to you. If you haven't talked to your son, about marriage, and he have arrived at puberty, he's going to wind up going in a dark room of life and finding his own way. And if you don't talk to your daughters, they're going to try to find their own way. And when they try to find their own way, they're going to become abused. They're going to stumble and fall and become bruised. Okay? And they're going to make some mistakes, and some of the mistakes they're going to make is irreversible because we didn't talk to them. Because the Prophet said, talk to them. Then put inside of them the desire, the feeling, the apprehension, the preparation that eventually they're going to get married. Okay, that's one. The Prophet we need to ask this question, who, what, when, how? Who? Whoever has reached puberty. That's who can get married. Who else? From the time they reach puberty all the way in the life. If they did not marry or they've been married and divorced and they want to get married again, everybody should be able to get married. A sister that has been divorced four or five times should be able to get another husband if she wants another husband. It might be a little difficult, but why shouldn't she be able to get another husband? She should be. A man who has been married and divorced several times or whatever and it didn't work for him, Allah will not punish you because of a marriage that failed, but He will punish you for any kind of relationship that you have outside of marriage. So we should get married. Save ourselves. If the marriage doesn't work, which it could happen, it might not work. You step outside of that, and you clean things up and straighten it up the way Allah says, and then you head towards the road of marriage again. Because for us, there is only one legitimate relationship between men and women, and that is what? <coughs> marriage. It's the only legitimate relationship between us. We don't have no platonic relationship. Whoever and Plato didn't have no platonic relationship. Plato was a homosexual, that's what you should know that. So if he had a, pl a platonic relationship with women where he didn't have no relationship with them, it's because he was a homosexual. There's no platonic relationship to Islam. You know, brothers and sisters who kind of like just respect each other uh, 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 intellectually and they can walk around and talk around together and be together and all that and uh, even live in the same apartment together as partners sharing an apartment and all that and there ain't nothing happening. That's a lie. Something is happening. It always is happening because Allah created them in that way. Next. What? The Prophet said, what is marriage? He said, Marriage is half a favor. Isn't that what he said? Marriage is half of the deen. And seek your fear of Allah subhanahu wa for the other half. Marriage is half of the deen. So when you have half of the deen, then you fear Allah in order to accomplish the rest of it. Half of the deen here means more than half in terms of mathematics. It means so much so that without it, you cannot complete the deen. And the only people who may be exempted from marriage there's those people who got certain situations in their lives that prevented them from marriage. And Allah, He knows the best who they are. Some of our great ulama, fukaha, great ones, for some reason they did not marry. Like Imam Nawawi. Like, like uh, 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 Imam, uh, uh, Imam uh, Ibn Taymiyyah. 
But according to them and according to the observation of others, they were so preoccupied and they were so overburdened and overwhelmed with the task of disseminating and gathering and researching the knowledge that one of them said, you don't know my wife. You don't know my wife. It is the end. Maybe Allah will exempt them. Allah will But who should marry? Every one of us should marry because it is half a faith. And why? Because to marry, what it does, it furthers the procreation of the human race. There's no way to further the human race except to marry. So those people who have those mommy-mommy families and those daddy-daddy families, you know what I'm talking about. Men who marry men and women who marry women. These people are going to frustrate, undermine the human race because they cannot procreate. Unless they find some ways of buying sperm off the internet and something and, and uh, uh, test two babies and other kind of crazy stuff that they're going to be doing to try to have their own nuclear homosexual lesbian families. Alhamdulillah for Islam. Allah saved us from those complications. Hardly any Muslims in the Muslim world, it is said that only 0.5% of all the Muslims in the world ever, ever, ever do that. And those who do it in the Muslim world, they do it undercover. Because in most places in the Muslim world, if they do it outside, they won't live long. Alhamdulillah, for the haq of Islam. Now brothers and sisters, what is the issue now about when? When should we marry? A man asked the Prophet Wasallam, Ya O Messenger of Allah Wasallam, when should we marry? What do you think the Prophet Wasallam said? He said, Bisura, quickly, without hesitation. Is this correct terminology in Arabic? Bisura? Is that correct? Quickly, I mean without hesitation. Like if I asked you, listen, I got some money for you. I collected this money for you. I made it, I called you up. I got this money for you. When do you need it? What would you say? Bisura. You want, you want me to hold on to it for 30 days? You want me to hold it for a year? Or do you want me to bring it to you right now? You said, ah, brother, I'll come to you. <laughs> if a man is thirsty, when does he want the water? Right away. If you're hungry, when do you want it? Right away. If you're locked up in jail, when do you want to get out? Right away. <coughs> so if you want to marry the Prophet ﷺ, knowing human nature better than you and I, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who, who is Samir Alim, who knows better than Muhammad and who taught him by Wahi, Allah knows and Allah gave him Wahi to tell us what? When to get married? Right away, without hesitation. That doesn't mean just jump in it. It means make the preparations as soon as possible to protect yourself and to give yourself the benefits of this institution called Siraj. It is wajib. It is binding. It is a part of our deen that we cannot afford to overlook. Because it will spoil all the other aspects of the deen. The Prophet said, I leave behind me no greater fitness for my ummah except what? Except what? Women! Now this is, this is how he wasn't blaming the women. Some people will listen to this and think that they like he's blaming the women. But I ask you this question. 
until 10 years ago, 90% of all the pornography in the world, 90% of all the public fawahish in the world, 90% of all the advertisements using naked women and using women as, to as tools and whatever it is to, to, to prompt people and market people and to lead people astray, 90% of all the places of the public where they want to lead people astray and whatever, they used women. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them some, something called zina to hunna. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't give that to the men. He gave that to the women. That's why Allah gave them a uniform to wear. He knows best. He wants to cover. Allah created them. Allah fashioned them. Allah made them beautiful. Allah made them appealing. Allah made them glamorous. Allah made them this and that and so and so exotic for the men to smell or to see or to whatever, to imagine. But he did not make the man the same type of attraction as the women. So he gave them a uniform. Ten years ago, the Kafirs, they start creating young boys to look like men, to look like women. So now you go into advertisements all over this country and America now. Now they're using young, effeminate-looking boys because they know that there's men who themselves love boys and they will buy that product because you've got a bad-chested young boy with no beard and looking like a woman and got his hair curled up and so forth and so on. So you got men who love them and you got women that love them too. So now they're using boys to prostitute like men. Because that's the society we in. We in the Kaume Lut people. Now, having said that, it is wajib on us to marry. Because marriage will curb these tendencies. The Prophet ﷺ told his companions. You know, the Prophet ﷺ is real. SubhanAllah, he's Allah's messenger. Some Allah ﷺ receiving revelations from Allah, but he's telling us everything from the grass to the sky. So he said, if any one of you see a woman that makes arouse you with desire, what did he say do? He said, go to your wife. She got the same thing. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, secondly, Allah gave the women a different nature. A woman has the nature that if she fears Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, she can live with one man and she can be loyal. And if she don't have a man, she also has the power to be loyal. Aisha radiallahu anha, one of the ummahat al-Mubineen, one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu daughter of Abu Bakr when the Prophet sallallahu passed away, how old was she? 18 years old. And she was beautiful and young. But Allah named her as one of our mothers, didn't he? So she could not marry. How the Muslims were married their mother? When Aisha radiallahu anha passed away, how old was she? I think 57 or 55? Huh? 68. 68, subhanAllah. 50 years later. And Allah subhanahu wa ordered her and the other Ummahat al-Mu'mineen do not speak to anyone except behind a screen. And she went even further that when they knocked on her door asking her for some information and only she had it, she used to disguise her voice. Look at that. This because women have the nature to be loyal. A woman can wait. Some of you brothers got wives in India, Pakistan, got wives in other places, and been there for 20 years, 17 years. You might go back and visit every couple of years, or you might not even never go back. She's still married. 
It's because women got zubber. Men don't have zubber. A man get over here and he got a wife over there, in a couple of years he's looking and hooking. He got no loyalty. I mean, he still love his wife and take care of his kids, but he gonna have something. So Allah made them different. This is why we have to get married. Marriage is binding. And everyone should be married. A man who is married and got a son that's not married, you think you in the room with your wife and you enjoying yourself and she enjoying herself and you think your son don't know what's going on? He don't want a wife? Listen, brothers and sisters, if you got a son that's 18, he don't have a job, he's not finished school, he don't have no money, but he want a wife. Let him get a wife and let him, he got his own room, right? Let him get a wife and make a deal with their parents that either he go live with them because she got a room or he come live with you. He come and live with you. So he got his own room and he got his wife in the room and you got your wife in the room. They're going to have problems because they're not mature. They're going to have problems because they don't know what they're supposed to be doing. <clears throat> She's still in school, he's still in school, both of them is a little crazy, they're going to be arguing, but at least they are home with you or home with his parents or her parents. And they're married and they're safe. And the family is what? Have been increased. And so any problems that come up, you can deal with those problems inside. Why are you going to wait for him to get an apartment, graduate from school? You want her to also graduate. So in four years, five years, six years, he got to get an apartment, he got to get a house. Then you got all this cultural stuff, he got to get 20,000 pounds. He got to this, he got to that, he got to get a car, he got to buy the furniture. I mean, when he started thinking about all that, he said, look, hold it, I better marry me a non-Muslim. <laughs> See, so marriage is budget. We got to find a way to do it. And move this cultural stuff out of the way. Move it out of the way and get your sons and daughters married. Next. The Prophet said about the prospect of marriage. He said, what should we look like? What do we look for in marriage? What should we look for? We should look for beauty, social status, character, and deed. The Prophet said, you can marry for three things. Beauty, meaning on the part of the woman, or that the man is handsome. You see? Social status, prestige, class, upbringing, character or deed. That means she got good character, akhlaq. That means akhlaq comes from the awareness of deed. Religion, she's been trained well. Okay, Prophet Al-Sin said the best one is character and deed. Why? Because when the beauty fades, and it could fade right away, you marry a sister, she could be beautiful and get in a car accident tomorrow. She's finished. What you gonna do now? You're all messed up. You want to be loyal, but you know how she's looking. Same thing with the brother. He's handsome. Nice looking brother. But he gets some kind of disease and gets messed up. He all wrinkled up, messed up, lost all his teeth, hair fall out. You still love you, you care for the brother, but you don't really want to be with him. But you're trying to be loyal. That could fade. Plus they get old. You get old, she get old. It fades. You marry somebody with social class. The brother, he graduated from Oxford. He's a barrister. He's an engineer. You know, he's a, a, a surgeon. You know, he's a this, he's a that. And he's earning, he got good earning capital. He come from a good family. 
so forth and so on. But that could change. <coughs> Just like that. So now what you got? The same thing. You marry a sister. She comes from high status. That could change. What you going to do now? But if the person has good character, the character will increase. If their dean is good and they own it, the dean will become stronger and stronger. As they get older, better and better. So the prophet also said, marry for what? What's the best reason to marry? For dean. Now, of course, you know and I know that beauty or handsomeness, social status, or security, we're not going to throw that out the window. All of us is looking for some of that to be there. If you say that, you're not telling the truth. So what the Prophet said to how do we go about it? He said, go and see. Did he say that? He said, go and see. Don't be marrying nobody in the blind. Don't marry nobody in the blind unless it's a different type of situation, meaning that the father and the mother of the, of the, of the man and the father and mother of the girl, that the families already know each other. The boy and the girl, they even grew up together. It's from the same village or whatever it is. The mother already told, the mother and father already told the son, she is absolutely gorgeous. The mother went and visited her and took her sister, uh, her, her daughters with her, and they went and sat with her, shook her hands. Uh, Embrace her. Salaamu alaykum, sister. How you feeling? So here we know she's plump, whether she's thin, whatever. I'm trying, look, I'm just telling you how Egyptian, I'm telling you how Egyptian sister told, told us how, you know, how they do it. She said, the mother and the, the mother and her daughter go and see the sister. And they meet her and greet her, and they look at her and talk to her, they sound like the sister, kif hala ukhti, mashallah, and then, you know, in the embrace and all that, they can see she thin, she plump, whatever it is. They can see her teeth, they can see her hair, she got bad breath, she got bad toes. No, for real, I'm telling you the truth. They can see she got bad toes, she got this. They look around the house, they can see how that she's supposed to cook some food. Then they go in where she sleep at, and they can see how she make the bed and the kitchen and all that. When they come back, they basically got the deal. Okay, and the same thing with the father. The father of the other side, he comes see and sit down with the father of the boy. And meet him and greet him and talk to him and look at him and everything and check things around and say, look here, can I, can I see his room where he sleep at? You know, can I check this out? He got good grades and look at him, check and look. So when they come back together, they talk to each other. They say, no son, she's not the one. And if your mother and your sister both tell you and they know you, She's not the one. And you never saw her. Chances are, if you trust your mother and your sister and your family, you will not pursue that situation. Is it right or wrong? And that's why statistics says, I want to say this before I come to say something else about these cultural marriages. I want to say something good. Statistics say that the marriages that are arranged by the families, they last longer and there is a better rate a lesser rate of divorce among the marriages that are arranged by the families. Now, this is not to support forced marriages. I'm not supporting that. I'm just only saying that statistics say that the father and the mothers and the parents, they usually know better. Now, do I, I got 15 minutes, brother, am I right? 15 minutes? 10? 5. All right, we'll wrap it up. No problem. So the Prophet said, go and see, and make sure that which prompts you to marry is genuine and real. Of course, the first thing he's telling the man, go see, because he's mentioned that some women of Medina, they got a defect in their eyes, right? The women of Medina got a defect in their eyes, he's just using that to show. Okay, go and see, to make sure 
that what you you look at, you know, make sure what you want is there. Next thing, that's the examination and review. Also, there should be the examination of the background, of the character, checking people out. So that's why no woman must marry without a wali. She, if she has a wali and she don't want to marry who the wali re recommends her, she cannot be forced to marry unless she is, she don't, she, she's not mature. Then her father and mother can marry her. But when she becomes mature, she don't like that marriage, she can have it annulled. Islam is very just. Islam is very practical. There should be examination and review of both the girl and the boy to make sure that the backgrounds get checked out. So you don't be just putting people together and situations is not right and have not been checked out. The next thing is the engagement. Now the, the engagement in Islam is not the kind of engagement that the Catholics do. It's not where you just sister got his phone number and she got his phone number and they be calling each other back and forth, sitting on the phone two hours every night, or they meet at the, at the coffee shop and so on. So that's not the kind of engagement in Islam. The engagement is that a promise has been made, and the two people are intended to marry, and they have made commitments either themselves or they made commitments to the family, but they did not have the contract and they did not enter the ceremony. This engagement. Now, in some places, engagement is allowed in a different way. In a different way. And that kind of engagement is really marriage. But what is it? It's when the two people come together, the dowry is transferred, the ceremony is done, now the two people can be together, but it has been agreed upon by the man and the woman and the family, they will not consummate the marriage until she finished school, or until he finished school, or until some other things are done. Now this is another way of engagement, which they are really married, but they cannot have nikah. That means they will not enjoy themselves until it has been agreed upon by the other parties of family. Now I'm giving you some considerations that you can look into your methab, or you can look to your scholars, or you can look to yourselves, and you can see how these things work. Then you can go check on some scholars and websites and see if what I'm telling you is correct or not. Huh? Then there is the issue of the dowry. And if there's anything that is the most important thing in the marriage, it is the dowry. The dowry doesn't have to be stated, but it has to be there. If the dowry is not there, then the private parts of women is not lawful to you except through dowry and mahab. You cannot marry without mahab. You must have it. The Prophet said it could be an iron ring, it could be a, pot, it could be a mountain of gold. Of course, the sister she asked for a mountain of gold, I don't know who she's going to marry. <laughs> so maybe somewhere in between. I don't think too many of us are going to give somebody our daughter for an iron ring or for an ayat of Quran or for some dates. But we need to look at this situation and not make it difficult for these brothers and sisters to get married by setting up these, these excessive dowries, which usually is set up because the father of the bride, he wants his share. Now you can wait for your share, or you can wait to spend money on her, time on her, and effort on her, investment and so forth. So there's nothing wrong with that. Tell that young man to give her a thousand pounds a year. Because I mean, if he's working, he's making fifteen thousand a year. Get five one thousand dollars. That's her money. It got nothing to do with nothing. Not maintenance. He got to maintain her anyway. Give her a thousand pounds a year. That's ten thousand pounds. So she got. It. But if you say give her ten thousand in the front, because you want five thousand. You're making it difficult. Secondly, the ceremony should be easy. What is, what's, what's required for marriage? A very simple thing. 
three things is, uh, is in, in marriage. There's three shirut uh, 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 of the marriage. What are they? Huh? First one? First one is that dowry, al-mahab. <coughs> Number two, there should be witnesses. Number three, there should be ijab and qubula. Asking, huh? The, the request and the acceptance. Finally, after all that's been done, the Prophet said there is no marriage without enjoyment. Enjoyment. So two people get married, they can stay together for five years, but if there was no enjoyment, there is no marriage. So there's no convenient situation where people can come over here and say, I want to marry with a green, for a green card, yellow card, I don't know what kind of card they call it over here. You know, a man get married with a woman, and he don't have no intention to really marry her, he married her for convenience. There's no convenient marriages in Islam. The Prophet said, there is no deception in the marriage, and no joking about the marriage. If you marry, it's marriage. You should have the intent for that. Brothers and sisters, uh, uh, finally I just want to come down and mention to you that there are some problems and challenges that we put in front of ourselves that we got to deal with regarding marriage. One of them is the uncontrolled nafs. If you don't control your nafs, you will ruin the situation before you even get into it. Lower your gaze, God, your modesty, stay where you're supposed to be at. Brothers, don't be trying to give dawah to sisters, and sisters, don't be trying to give dawah to brothers. Stay where you're supposed to be at. Guard yourselves, obey Allah and obey His Messenger, Salaam. Sisters, stay in your uniform. Brothers, lower your gaze, guard your modesty, and only be going into situations in which you have the right to go into. And be careful of these telephones and these computers. Because if you allow your daughters to be talked to by a brother, the brother is penetrating her ear. That's what he's doing. He's changing her mind, affecting her heart, and, and uh, things are going through her body while he's talking to her. So they are having a conversation, and through that conversation, one of the stages of zina is taking place. And when the sisters are on that computer, talking in the chat rooms, they are also in halwa, they are in a different type of khalwa because they are talking with someone they don't even know or see and it's a dangerous situation. They could be talking to a freak. Somebody that, that, that track her where she's at, follow her and rape her. She don't know who she's talking to. What's she doing on the computer like that? The other thing is, cultural complication. Brothers and sisters, modify the culture. Bring Islam out. Put the culture down. Anytime your culture creates an obstacle in Islam, the culture is wrong. Forced marriages, there's no dalil where the Messenger of Allah sallam, allowed, or the companions allowed, or the tabi'een allowed, or the atma tabi'een allowed, forced marriages. This is from the culture, it's not from Islam. Unjustified khula. Sisters who ask for khula simply because they don't like what the brother says, so now she want to go out the back door. I want a khula. They don't find out about the word khula. So now the sister wants khula. Deception and convenience. Brothers deceiving sisters, sisters deceiving brothers, and men marrying women from convenience. And people talking about muta'a. All of a sudden, Sunni brothers and sisters, brothers, Sunni, all of a sudden they want to know can we practice muta'a. First of all, muta'a was a permission, it was never marriage. It was a special permission during Ghazwatul Khaybar. And after Ghazwatul Khaybar, it was abrogated. 
So it ain't no marriage, because there was no divorce, there was no mahar. So there's no marriage. So, so it's not marriage. Umar al-Khattab made that clear for us. But the only people who do it today claiming it is lawful is Shia. And we don't share with them their fiqh nor with their aqidah. But all of a sudden, you don't want to pay the dowry. You don't want the responsibility. You want to pay the nafqa. And you want to leave the woman when you get ready. You know, so there's no divorce. So all you really want to do is you just want to have a legal girlfriend. There ain't no legality. It is zina. And there ain't no right hand possessed. There's no war, so you ain't taking nobody as no slave, so you ain't got no right, no, no, I, uh, uh, I manning him. You got a woman that's inside your house working for you, and you don't somehow told her that you, you, she right hand possessed, you got nothing but a prostitute, and you're nothing but a pimp. <laughs> Excessive dowries is another problem and challenge. Creation and innovation inside the marriage is another challenge. We innovate when it comes to the road to marriage, we innovate when we get married, and innovation is another problem. Also, we disregard the sunnah. From the niyyah to the nikah, we need to practice the sunnah. If you don't know what the sunnah is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Before you get married, before you set up the thing, before you rent the hall, before you do anything, Who's the ahl al-dhikr? They're not just any imams. They are the ulama and the fuqaha of the Qur'an and the sunnah. Go and ask, what are the steps? What can we do, what we cannot do? And then after that, be in obedience. Because he says, Who's amr minkum? Those people who have amr over us and knowledge. And finally, marriage to non-Muslims. We already know that no sisters cannot marry no Catholics. Period. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala told the Prophet in the Surah Muntahayna, I think it is, the Surah Muntahayna, he says, O Prophet when you take the oath of fealty from the Muslim, from, from the women, don't send them back to the Kafirs because they're not lawful women to the Kafirs, are lawful wives to the Kafirs, and the Kafirs are not lawful husbands for them. Absolute. There's no doubt about this anywhere. There's no ikhtilaf about it anywhere. A Muslim sister cannot marry a Kafir. If she wouldn't does that, she becomes a Kafir. And as for a Muslim man, these non-Muslim sisters you're talking about marrying, these Christians that you want to marry, they are not the Ahl al-Kitab that Allah is mentioning in the Qur'an. They, they are Ahl al-Kitab because they call themselves Christians, but Allah made a condition when He mentioned that you can marry them. And that condition is that they have never been touched. Huh? They never entered no paramours. They never had no girlfriend. I mean, they never had no boyfriend. They never, you understand what I mean, was married before. They never had a sexual relationship before. They have been pure and they have been chaste. Now, where are you going to find those at? You got to go to the hospital and find them. <laughs> when they're born. <laughs> so, brothers, when you marry these non-Muslim women, you're going to wind up with a problem. Because in this country, those children, when they're born, they are British and they belong to the mother. And when you run out of money, or you run out of steam, or you run out of whatever else, and you run out with a problem, she don't wind up with your children, and she take them to the church. And if she don't take them to the church, the grandparents on her side is going to take them to the church. Now what you wind up with then? You wind up with some children that don't even know their father, or don't respect their father, or they went across, or they're in the church, or they went someplace else, and you messed up. You don't wind up by yourself and lonely. So don't marry these Kafir women with all these Muslim sisters that's available. Take what Allah gave you, which is halal, and be patient. Don't marry these Kafir women. Unless they become Muslims 
they make tauba, they become clean, lawful for you, and no problem. When you marry them, they're Muslims, your children are Muslims. Go right ahead. Prophet also he did that. Having said that, brothers and sisters, I thank you very much, inshallah, for your patience and tolerance. And um, I want to respect the time. I want to thank the brothers from the um, uh, Islam Bradford and, uh, for their work in the field of Dawah, for the collaborating with the Purpose of Life Center. Um, I hope I didn't uh, say anything too graphic or uh, uh, annoying or aggravating for you. Um, brothers and sisters, at this point, if you don't mind, uh, we are uh, handing out some envelopes. Do you mind okay, if I just, just say something? We're handing out some envelopes to you, which is uh, envelopes uh, that we give out in every place we go to support the work of the Purpose of Life Center. Uh, the Purpose of Life Center, alhamdulillah, uh, we have two licenses to broadcast. Uh, we are not going to broadcast on television right away because the only option we have right now is Sky. And Sky is dangerous. So we don't want to broadcast on Sky. Plus, Sky wants 26,000, 18 to 26,000 a month. Obviously, we can't afford that right now. And we want to give you quality. We don't just want to broadcast anything. So what we decided to do, inshallah, very soon we are going to webcast. So you will be able to get our programs webcasted 24 hours a day with good transmission if you have, uh, what do they call it? Uh, First, second, or third level gigahertz broadband, whatever they call it. So if you have that broadband, you'll be able to get the Purpose of Life channel. And you'll be able to get Channel Islam, which is two channels that we have. You'll be able to get that very soon. Uh, how you can help us is by putting something in those envelopes. Because you will get the Hajar, whatever Allah gives to us, you will share in it. Whenever a Shahada is given by us, you will share in it. Uh, mashallah, any uh, uh, products or programs that we do, you will share in it. The other thing, we're not far from you. We're right down the street, or the uh, M1. Come and visit us, so you can see physically what we're doing. We're building a Purpose of Life village. 26, garden, uh, 26 penthouse apartments, two bedroom apartments right next to the center. We're building that. We're building a multi-purpose um, uh, uh, hall where if you want to rent something for 350 people in a very beautiful place on top of the hill, you'll be able to see that because we're going to build that, inshallah. Now, if you don't know what it is, go to our website, iim.tv. If you don't know what it is, come and visit us. We're open every single day. Any day of the week, come and visit us. But take my word for it. Secondly, if you benefited at all from this, we ask you, Give something, because what you give, you will find it in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So having said that, uh, if there's some questions, if there's time for it, I'll answer them. If there's no time for it, inshallah, uh, uh, the brothers, I think, want to remind you about the registration. Uh, brothers and sisters, the registration had nothing to do with we ain't sharing none of your daughter's information with nobody. We're not doing that. We're not asking them to give us their information. We're just saying name, address, phone number, email, whatever you've got, then we take that and we register you. When we register you, that doesn't mean it's activated. Is that correct, Dr. You're not activated. That means that we don't share no information, nothing like that. In order for you to become activated, then you've got to, under supervision, you've got to then give us the detailed knowledge. For brothers, it means you've got to give us all the information that you would want to know about a sister. And for the sisters, you've got to provide us all the information through your wakil or your wali that you would want to know about a brother. Then we assign 
along with the father and the wakil, we assign a supervisor. That supervisor might be an imam from Bradford, it might be an imam from Sheffield, it might be somebody from Manchester, but there will be four or five different supervisors who themselves are known to the Muslim community. Nobody will ever share information, nobody will ever get to meet anyone unless it goes through the processes through these imams or these supervisors. But the first step is, if you're interested and you're looking for a wife or you're looking for a husband, we ask you today to register because you've got to be in it to win it. You heard that before. <laughs> to be in it to win it, that means you've got to be registered, otherwise we can't help you. We've got to go another route. So may Allah bless you, brothers and sisters. I give the microphone to my colleague, uh, Brother Ahmed. And I want to thank uh, the brothers uh, and sisters who organized this. I'll be very quick because uh, I know we haven't got much time. So I'd just like to uh, thank the, the Sheriff, first of all. Uh, um, I do hear the talks every time it goes on, but I'm that it's just uh, as if it's more than time. Um, I'd like to uh, just thank the host, Islam Bradford, Alhamdulillah. Um, I'd just like to apologize for the delay and the technical problems we had there.